Welcome to the Strategic HR Show, the podcast series from FutureSolve, where we talk to senior business and HR leaders to share their advice on how to make better people decisions in the workplace and get the best out of their people. For show notes and free bonus resources, simply visit www.futuresolve.com forward slash podcast. And remember, if you'd like some help solving your strategic HR challenges, get in touch with us at FutureSolve. Whether it's developing your leaders and teams, hiring better people, creating a high performance culture, or something else, we'll help you boost the performance of your people and your business. Okay, let's get started. Hello, listeners. Thank you for joining the Strategic HR Show. We have an awesome guest today, Jeff Lackey. Jeff Lackey is an advisor with FutureSolve, but he also has held positions as VP of Talent Acquisition at CVS and many other organizations. And without further ado, I want Jeff to give us a quick background about what he does, what he's passionate about, and what he's done in the past. And then we'll get into a deep discussion on talent acquisition. Thank you, Andy. Really appreciate the opportunity to be on the podcast and be on the receiving end of the questions instead of on the giving end. So that's very nice. So yeah. First of all, I've had a very blessed career in the sense that I've had the opportunity to go from being a poor farm kid in Ohio who didn't have much of anything. I had a crooked basketball hoop and one pair of pants, you know, to my name for all of seventh grade to a person who was given the opportunity to lead a Fortune 4 organization's talent acquisition capability and really lead a transformation within the function from a Fortune 12 company that didn't really have a lot of value around that function to one where it really depended on it for its success. So I've also had the opportunity to lead the hiring of over a million people through the many organizations I've been part of across over 70 different countries in eight different industries. So obviously I got to figure out what I want to do when I grow up is really the question here, right? Yeah. (laughs) I seem to have that. Right now I'm a podcast host as well as a consultant. So I consult through Future Solve and through my firm, JKL Advisors, with organizations to help them know how to grow their business with people. So that's really what I do. And the name of my podcast, I bet you can't guess it, Growing Your Business with People. (laughs) So that's a passion of mine. And fundamentally, what I'm looking to do is help CEOs and business leaders understand what does it take to take one of their biggest operating expenses and transform that. And it's also one of their most fungible and highest potential. You know, you only get so much capacity out of a machine, Mm -hmm. but you can literally get two, three, four, 10x capacity differences out of people, depending on how engaged and how on fire and how much they want to invest into your organization, how much they believe in the mission, the vision, and the purpose of the organization. So I want to really help understand how to unlock that potential and help Mm -hmm. organizations to figure that out. If it means recruiting, that's great. And if it means that it's in attrition, that's great, or engagement, or leadership, or development. Yeah, all of those are pieces of the puzzle. Yeah, I love that, Jeff. And you're right. I mean, there's definitely been a shift in looking at the workforce from a cost to an opportunity, right, and a resource. And this shift continues to change. 
CEOs and leaders are focused on that now. And there's actually hard numbers and opportunities that are measured, whether it's how much it takes to retrain somebody when they leave and how do you reduce attrition because the time and effort it takes, or if you lose somebody, the knowledge they take with them and what they were bringing to the table, or maybe even opportunities that were on the table of customers that went away because of that individual. That is a very big topic that I want to definitely talk about and dive deeper in today because really it could make or break a business, right? And could be very hard for business leaders to know, like, where do I start or how can I measure or what advice can I do to begin tackling this major piece of my business in a meaningful way? And so I want to turn it to you and say, where can somebody start or what does that even look like? And how can we start making that change? Well, I appreciate that. So I'm going to give you insights from both as a leader personally, you mm-hmm. know, because my staff's grows as high as over 500 total team, you know, to also what I'm learning as I talk to senior business leaders, executive CEOs of middle, large, and I guess extra large <laughs> organizations, right? And one of the things that really comes out is the fact that HR has to be at the table with a financial impact agenda that describes specifically what their impact is. And in so many ways, that impact agenda has always been around trying to save costs. Mm -hmm. So we looked at salaries, benefits, right? Some of the two biggest line items in an organization. And we look those as a cost line because that's the way they're treated financially, right? They can't be treated as investments. They have to be treated as costs. Mm -hmm. That creates a bit of a problem for us because in treating them like just expenses, then people are viewing them through that lens instead of thinking about it and saying, well, If my investment in people is X, what do I expect my rate of return to be Mm -hmm. off of that? There better be a rate of return off of all those people because most organizations are running at 60, 70, up to 85 or more percent of their operating expenses are people, their salary, wages, and benefits, their training, and other costs. By the time you're done, some organizations may be higher than that. Now, let's step back from that for just a second and just pause that. So we're going to make the assumption that everybody's on board. We know our biggest expenses, people. That's not a surprise. Mm-hmm. Let's also take a look at some market facts. Over 46,000 tech workers were laid off in the U.S. so far in 2023 as of just you know January of this year. We had over 150,000 estimated layoffs right, due to a large downturn in the economy. And yet the job postings in the tech industry alone, stood at roughly, hold on to your hats, 246,000 new positions. Yeah. That's bigger than the other the two layoffs. combined, right? Than the layoffs. So as you look at this, the talent market is not loosening. If anything, it's just tightening at a slower rate than it has. Yep. So if that's the case, my challenge to HR professionals, senior HR leaders, 
who are listening to this podcast, the one challenge I say is what are we going to do differently? If we have to talk about the hidden value that exists within our organization, CEOs are to a person asking HR to do more with less as they are the rest of their organization because they're having to deal with tightening cost structures, inflation, supply chain pressures, et cetera, et cetera. I'd like to ask your HR leaders to begin finally tuning your value proposition down to a place where maximum value exists, not just maximum cost, specifically, not just looking about the costs of benefits and compensation. Think about what are your big value drivers for growth? What are they? How different would your job look? So here's something to think about. Mm-hmm. As a leader, how different would your job look today if every leader treated their employee like a customer? Do you as a HR person, do you consider yourself somebody who has created and developed focus groups that really understand your employees as customers? Have you segmented the market? Have you broken them down into personas? Have you understood what the value drivers and compelling things are that allow them to stay, compel them to leave, and how you differentiate? And then have you worked to communicate that to your leadership so that they can understand and impact and take that knowledge you know, to help ensure that you're growing your business with people? So let me start with this. As an HR leader, do you believe that people are the growth engine in your company? Of course you do. But does the rest of your organization understand that? And then what would you do differently if they all did, if they bought into this concept? How would you change up the focus and the resources of your organization to focus on the quality of the right talent in the organization? So that's really the beginning of what I talked to business leaders to say, do you think differently about your employees? One of the questions that I often ask, and I say, what's my number one tool for great recruitment? Because obviously being having an exceptional career in talent acquisition, everybody looks to me as a recruitment subject matter expert. Mm-hmm. And I'll tell them, your number one tool for recruiting is lowering attrition. That's right. That's your 100%. number one. Because if you understand what are the things that go into attrition, what you have done is you can take the bottom of the bucket and the big hole of this there and you shrink it. Mm-hmm. Well, that means that as people go into that bucket, the, the more resources and people, they're able to fill it to capacity. Whenever you're operating at capacity, then you have less attrition due to burnout. So the bucket, that hole gets smaller. As attrition goes down, engagement goes up, positive feelings, hopefully, if you're treating everybody like a customer, that goes up. What do you think happens whenever your customers experience more stability from the people they're interacting, from a customer service agent to a sales account executive to you name the person that they have to interact with? What do you think that they're feeling more of? Well, they're feeling stability. They're maintaining familiarity. They have somebody that knows their needs addresses their needs, is proactive, and communicates them back to the company, they're getting a better experience as a customer. The only hiring that you have to do at that point is because of growth. So you're not hiring for attrition, you're hiring for growth. And that's a different experience altogether because that becomes a virtuous cycle. 
that is a great cycle. And the other thing is, you know, employees are also the voice of the company. Buyers or customers always look at how you treat your employees and people and what you stand for as a business. So if you stand for that value externally, stand for it internally. And it makes a big impact. One of the people that I will be interviewing, actually just got off the phone with a few minutes ago, was Kevin McCarthy. And no, not the Speaker of the House, an author <laughs> of several books on purpose. And one of the things that he and I talk about is like rethinking the role of the chief executive officer. And one of the names of the book is called the chief leadership officer. And his quote, at least in our conversation, was people would prefer to be led than executed. That is true. So think of your title, your CEO, right? Chief executive officer. You're thinking yourself as I have to execute against X, Y, and Z. And while yes, there is a portion of what you have to do that is execution. It is thinking about how do you position yourself in the marketplace? How do you work within the financials? How do you do all these other things that are very left brain exercises? But if you have 60, 70, 85% of your operating expenses as people, shouldn't you have at least that much time thinking about your leadership capacity and the people side of your business, maximizing the value so that actually those other problems start to solve themselves and less relying on you being the idea person behind all of that. And you're more, you're serving as the leader. I wanted to highlight is when you talk about leaders and when a lot of people talk about leaders, they always talk about the top leaders, mm -hmm. but really leadership is everywhere. I mean, you can be the lowest level entry level in a position and mm -hmm. still lead from within and still influence and still make an impact. And unfortunately not enough companies invest in leadership across all levels but if they did, it truly changes the game because yeah. opportunities, how you influence, how you communicate, how you take action, it all changes and you can change it across all levels. You know, leading yourself is also a leader, you know, and that makes a big impact. And it's been a very big topic. I hear it all the time is how do we really affect and support and help all levels, not just the top level to lead and take action and have direction in a good way where we influence them. And so mm -hmm. I can see that, you know, chief leadership officer, leadership in general is becoming a really big topic. And now it's more than ever a skill and an area that everybody needs, not just if you're a manager or have somebody reporting to you. It's, you know, just really showing up as a leader in the world. And Sendelaney, they call it the shadow of the leader. Right. So if the top levels start to emulate and honor and respect individuals one layer down, then the anticipation is that cascading effect over time will make its way into the organization. And I think other organizations I've talked to where they provide coaching capability and you know, Scott Davies and Point Leader, they create a coaching capability. And the whole is that you take it from the top level. And as you give it there, then each layer down realizes how valuable that is. And they want to do it for their people. Mm -hmm. And as you take it deeper and deeper, the impact is tremendous. And it's not just financial, but it's actually quite personal. Think about mm -hmm. how much time you spend in the job. And if you create an environment that is a positive environment for people, 
that's something they take into their homes and their families, as well as experience on the job and also translates into profits and growth for you. So you kind of get a chance as chief leadership officer to be doing good while you're doing good for your business, which should be a very satisfying place for you. You know, and talking about like changing of titles because changing the way you look at a role, you know, one of our founders at FutureSolve says this all the time, but I really think it resides. So many companies still call the department talent acquisition. And, you know, our founder says, you're not acquiring people. They're not resources. They're not something you're Mm -hmm. buying. You're accessing talent and you're accessing what they could have as a potential for your business. Mm -hmm. So a lot of times we talk about it as talent access because you're really just tapping into that talent. And a long time ago, they used to look at it as, you know, on the P&L resources, you're buying and acquiring, but that's not really the case. So that name by itself should also be changed. Just like the CEO, instead of executing, we should lead. That's going to be very key is how do we really look at it differently and even start with just the titles we're using and look at it differently. Well, let's just be honest for a second. We're seeing what the possibilities of AI that I've been seeing for years now, people are just starting to unwind and uncover now, right? ChatGPT is one of those things that people are talking about, but that's not even the tip of the iceberg. Let's just be very frank with my HR colleagues. If in the next five years, I would be surprised if there wasn't between a 40 and 80% reduction in the need for the number of HR people Mm -hmm. in that space, the volume is going to shrink considerably, but the focus is going to change dramatically. Whereas Mm -hmm. I think the one place where HR, you know, people, talent really is needed is in the talent section. That's the place where you can't have an AI do an automation or a task or something else to be able to fulfill something. Now, not to say benefits and compensation don't need smart people to, they will need. They just won't need them in the numbers and the volume that they have historically yeah, because there'll be other solutions, right? Mm-hmm. And the same with resourcing or recruiting or talent acquisition or whatever you want to call it. The volumes will not be, the number of people needed to do that won't be the same. But the folks who can figure out how to create an environment that has people who one, enjoy what they do, mm-hmm. look forward to what they do, and want to invest themselves more in what they do. That is something that is going to be very, very valuable to mm-hmm. organizations. So it might only be 20% today, yeah, but it might look more in five years, more like 100% of what the best organizations are investing in. And if you have the opportunity to transform your organization's value proposition today, that's where you need to make the investment to make that switch now rather than have it being forced on you because you've been acquired by another organization who has already made that investment and who's passed you in the market. Absolutely. Yeah, that resided really well with me. And I totally agree with that. And really, it's all about a shift in mindset and begin to address it. And like you mentioned, only 20% of the companies are doing it today, but eventually, everybody will need to do it. And if you don't, it will make or break the business, right? And whether you're there or not will be a factor because people want to work 
somewhere where they're valued, respected, have belonging, and taking it far beyond just what the numbers say or what the requirements say or what the laws say, right? And that would truly change also productivity, how much people will go above and beyond for a business. I mean, all of that changes when you find balance and alignment with your people. And so I think the big question is, somebody hearing this today is like, where do I start? Or how do I even Mm -hmm. know where to begin? You know, that would be one that I would think of, okay, there's this huge thing we're talking about, the change. But if you're a leader today, like where can you Mm -hmm. at least begin to start making change and making impact today? Yeah. So that is a great question. And if I was a CEO of a new organization, the number one first thing that I would do is a listening tour. I would want to hear firsthand and I want my first line leadership to hear firsthand from the lowest levels of the organization, what they're seeing, what they're feeling, what they're smelling, what they're tasting, how are they experiencing the company? What made them come here in the first place? What has brought them to the brink of leaving? Because obviously these are people that are still here. What has driven other people they know to leave? But more importantly, I guess, like what would cause them to really be on fire? What is the one thing that maybe used to be there that isn't there anymore? Or what's the thing that if you could say they could get really passionate around their job, what would be that thing? And I will tell you, to a person, normally, there's a lot of service to the customer. I would love it. At the lowest levels, they empathize with the customer, whether it's a patient in the hospital, a retail customer, somebody else who they're serving in whatever capacity. They want to do that. So I had one client, I won't give anything away, but they had a a type of position that really that individual resonated with patient outcomes and connection time with the patient, right? Those are the two things that mattered most. And when we compared that side by side with a $25,000 signing bonus, an advertisement for 25 grand versus more time with your patient and better patient outcomes, it was deafeningly clear. It was two to one ratio. Wow. Two times more clicks on the one that resonated with the thing that connected them with their customers mm-hmm. and felt like they had an impact on the lives of their customers and they could connect and be with their customers. And it's not to say that they didn't still have to do the $25,000 signing bonus because to be competitive, they still had to do that in the marketplace. But that's not the thing that got them to come. And they came in droves over the other. And what that sparked was, as you think about it, what the conversation became was me talking with the CEO saying, your issue is not a recruiting problem. It's a nutrition problem. Mm -hmm. And the person said, I understand that. And I said, the attrition problem is because people don't understand how connected you are to the purpose of giving them more time with their patients and achieving patient outcomes. Absolutely. Because you know, you're a new CEO, you're new to the organization, the leadership in you do not have that voice into your employees yet. So what did she do? She turned around and had a huge, like 30 different town hall sessions at clinics, in locations, bringing people together talking specifically about this, the culture of the organization did not sit there and drive home profit and, you know, numbers and all that said, 
we want you to impact the lives of our patients. And yes, we're short-staffed right now. Yes, we have fewer people. But if we were at capacity, if we were fully staffed, our ideal is to be significantly lower in the market than the number of patients per day that you see as opposed to everybody else in the market serving these patients. Yes. And what a compelling, resonating feeling to say, you're listening to me and you're creating a culture around that. As the chief leadership officer or chief executive officer, you can think differently about your problems and address it differently. You're not saying, well, maybe we should do $50,000 signing bonus, or maybe it should be a hundred and maybe it's 150, right? The numbers start growing to stupid levels, right? And those things won't change the heart. And what you're talking about is that this is a heart and head issue. You're addressing the heart of your employees by getting at motivations, intrinsic motivations that help them connect with the purpose of your customer, of your company, which is actually how do they solve your customer's problems? Correct. And when I'm talking to my clients, that's the connection that I'm saying is that, yes, I may help you solve a talent acquisition or a talent access problem, but that is a tourniquet on a bleeding artery. I need you to go in and I'm going to direct you on the surgery that's also needed to help ensure that we not only save this patient's life, but are allowed to save their limbs and their quality of life in the long run. Correct. You know, so you're going to need to do the surgery, which is addressing the root cause because the tourniquet is not addressing the root cause. It's just putting on a temporary solution, which does not have good outcomes if left on too long. Yeah. Well said, Jeff, for sure. Because, you know, another thing I wanted to mention is when you're looking at heart versus capacity of the mind or physical things that we're offering employees, I think. There's definitely a balance of let's get them making sure they're taking care of their life, but then it stops becoming about money and it becomes more about the heart. And there's a reason why we also see a big trend of being more empathetic. And actually that's one of the skills that's actually going down, believe it or not, year after year, people are less empathetic and we're seeking empathy and connection. So you'll find rising leaders that are strong in empathy or strong in emotional intelligence. And we need more of that. And we need to enable people to be empathetic, to connect with the heart, to do that because that's what makes us human. And that's the beautiful part about human, you know, and being human. Mm -hmm. That's a great point is that empathy is something that has been going down because it feels like the pressures of this world are piling higher. Yeah. And so as those pressures are higher, we go to more of an instinctual response rather than a learned response, right? Mm -hmm. One of the things as a leader, you need to check yourself, you know, you kind of, the old phrase, you got to check yourself before you wreck yourself, right? Yeah. (laughs) Is that you have to think about, okay, I may say something that may feel very satisfying, but what's the ripple effect of what I'm about to say? Like, I may make a stinging comment to somebody, which is very Mm well-deserved. But if I make that, how many people are listening? And what's the ripple effect of that comment down the road that is much unintended and much less helpful for your organization? 
instead of trying to be the most clever person in the room or the biggest leader, why don't I take my job as leader, as listener, and maybe I play back what I heard them say. So what I heard you say was this. Help me understand, you know, why you feel that way. Or help me understand what you have that backs that opinion up. Even if you vehemently disagree with that opinion, as a leader taking that position of a non-defensive learner creates an open channel of communication where you might actually learn something very valuable. I refer to it as a black swan, right? Yeah. A hidden thing that that person knows that you need to know that would change the course of your decision-making had you known it. A quick, you know, quick check. Okay, that felt a little bit hard. But instead of coming back with an in-like and kind response, I'm going to pause and say, so what I heard you say was, help me understand this. And then allow them to get whatever they have off their chest so that maybe you can learn a little bit. I'm telling you, companies could be two, three, four, five X more profitable if their leaders in unison were doing more of that instead of doing the more satisfying version, temporarily satisfying version. If somebody's brave enough to snap at you, not that I encourage people to be, you know, disrespectful. But if somebody is brave enough to snap at a leader in that moment, then they have come to the end of their rope. And there's probably a good reason that they're there, right? And so it may not be in that meeting, but it may be offline where you really need to take some time to uncover and unpack that. And you're not their therapist, but you should be the person who helps discover what's going on because that could be a big learning for you. Yeah. So what you said was empathy is critical. But what I would tell you is that empathy, whether it's natural or whether it's learned, doesn't matter. You have to practice it, mm -hmm. right, to get mm -hmm. better at it. You yes. could be as natural, empathy, you know, person, but if you don't practice it, it doesn't really matter. You have to foster it. You have to live it. You have to do it every day for it mm -hmm. to become a norm. Otherwise, you go back into the habits of, you know, let's focus on the other things and drive money and business, which is important. You cannot have profits without people and you can't have people without profits. Correct. So there's no shame in helping people understand the importance of customer satisfaction. There's no shame in understanding the importance to keep costs down. Mm -hmm. There's no shame in you know incentivizing and leading people to create higher quality, to drive profits, that will ultimately also benefit their customers and hopefully benefit the business, which will then benefit them as a people. There's no shame in that. It is a noble cause. And understanding that intersection, that it's not just profits and it's not just people. We're not here to try and tell people, we'll just love one another and everything will be fine. Yeah. You have to have a focus of your business. Correct. It's not just loving on your people, which would solve everything. Yeah. Focus, leadership, connection. Focus, leadership, connection, combined with that care, you know, right. the communication, you know, the character of leadership. Another individual who's going to be a future guest of my show talks about some of the four C's of leadership that really stood out to him. So you asked me something and I didn't answer you. 
what would I do tomorrow as a CEO? I'd hold focus groups and I'd have a listening tour. And then the second thing I'd do is I would make sure that not only I, but my leadership team has this on their agenda for at least annually creating a listening tour. The engagement survey is great, but a survey it is. Correct. It's not the same as hearing from your people. And then asking your leaders to make sure that on a more frequent basis that they're doing things to go out and listen to you know, key things and help them understand how to filter those things back into and to create a great environment. Because the CEO can only do so much. What you said earlier was the first-line leader. Everybody has leadership responsibility, but that first-line leader has so much impact. If that first-line leader is on a daily basis, a weekly basis, is listening, empathizing, and maybe on a monthly or quarterly basis, interacting with this whole team and allowing them to provide him feedback as to what do they love, what could they do differently, he's going to be occupying his mind. Let me give you a tangible example. So as leader for a Fortune 4 healthcare organization, I'll leave that to your imagination who that might be. <laughs> One of my struggles was I was growing so fast to match my organization that I felt like I was losing touch as the head of talent acquisition losing touch with all of the different people in my organization. I felt very early on that I knew them all. I knew them down to their kids, their dogs, their pets, whatever. And I was feeling like people were actually entering my organization. I didn't even know who they were, what they were doing necessarily. And I started feeling disconnected. So I started having a conversation with my leadership. And we actually got to the place, now this may seem ridiculous, but we got to the place where we were holding monthly talent review meetings. We had an agenda every month that we'd cover between two and three hours worth of a topic. And it would be around the talent reviewing, you know, and it'd be topics of engagement, development, innovation. And we actually created and fostered a talent acquisition team of sorts that was a group of individual contributors and leaders who focused on employee development, engagement, and process innovation. They were called the TA Council, right? And then we created a TA Diversity Council. So we created another spinoff out of the demands from the talent acquisition team, because that's what they said they wanted, to say, how do we operationalize all of these things that we want to do in diversity? How do we operationalize them within talent acquisition? How do we take the concepts and actually put them into place? So there was a small group of folks, less than 10 individuals who focused on that. Now, that wasn't their full-time job. These people were volunteering for jobs above and beyond what their day job because they believed in the mission, the vision, the purpose, and they wanted to further us along. And then we actually created TA Tech Council, again, because they wanted to further figure out how to integrate the 37, 38 different technologies that we put together, how to get the maximum value out of them and create a you know an integration to help us prepare for workday and other things. I could have never dreamed up all of those things on my own. But what I worked really hard on was to listen to my team. And then when I saw ideas and different things that I think resonated with the group based on what I understood, I studied the engagement surveys in depth. I held focus groups. I had skip level meetings. I had all that. When I found ideas that resonated across them, I created room and my leadership team created room to be able to do those things. 
imagine you as a leader, if that was one of the things that you were trying to do was create that room for your team. Wow. That definitely resonated and it makes a big impact. And I love that example. People will step in if you give them the opportunity to become that and do that, if you provide that space for them. You know, Jeff, we could talk about this all day and I love that you're passionate about it. But I also want to tell my listeners, if they wanted to talk to you and bounce ideas off of you, how can they reach out to you and how can they be in touch and how can we listen to your podcast, which you mentioned a little bit, because you have an awesome one as well. And I wanted to make sure that you give them a little bit of direction there and how they can find you. I am so grateful. So first, let me be real short and sweet to the point. My podcast is called Growing Your Business with People. You'll find it on YouTube, as well as all of the audio versions. You can also find it on YouTube at youtube.com front slash at JKL Advisors, ORS. That is the name of my consulting firm, JKL Advisors. Also, you can go to jkladvisors.ai to be able to find links to the podcast. And my firm is really about growing your business with people. Mm -hmm. So I help CEOs and business leaders alike understand what does it take to grow your business with people. That's the focus of the podcast. That's the focus of my consulting. And different clients engage me for work anywhere from, you know, spot consulting, holistic consulting, and sometimes even what I call fractional or interim leader positions within talent acquisition. I've worked across eight different industries. So the ability to generalize across industries never seems to be an issue for me. And the biggest thing that I want people to know is that I guess if I was independently wealthy, I wouldn't charge anybody anything. That's not unfortunately the case, but I would do this because I love it. It's a love for the topic. And I believe it's my extension to say, I can create some good and do good while doing good for myself. Great. Well, thank you very much, Jeff. It's always a pleasure to have you and I can definitely see the passion there. And it's always great to have you on my podcast. Thank you for being a guest and thank you for sharing all this great knowledge. It's definitely a pleasure. Thank you so much. Well, thank you very much. Thanks for joining us today on the Strategic HR Show, the podcast series from FutureSolve, where we talk to senior business and HR leaders to share their advice on how to make better people decisions in the workplace and get the best out of their people. For show notes and free bonus resources, simply visit www.futuresolve.com forward slash podcast. We'd love it if you subscribe, like, and share the show with any friends and colleagues who are looking for fresh ideas on how to make better people decisions in their business. And remember, if you'd like some help solving your HR challenges, get in touch with us at FutureSolve. Whether it's developing your leaders and teams, hiring better people, creating a high-performance culture, or something else, we'll help you boost the performance of your people and your business. Thanks, and see you soon.